Welcome to Realty Talk, the show that brings together the country's most authoritative and respected property experts. Follow us on all the socials and subscribe for updates and exclusive offers. Realty Talk is powered by realty.com.au, connecting buyers, sellers and agents differently. Hi and welcome to the show. Realty Talk, one of the shows on the Property Hub, which is distributed by DM Media. Now you're going to find us on all podcast players and of course through the Southern Cross Oz Stereo Network. Realty Talk is Australia's longest running property podcast with over a decade of presenting property investment insights, inspirational stories and unbiased advice from Australia's top property experts, leaders and analysts. So what's in today's show? Well, Airbnb certainly has changed the short-term accommodation market and arguably caused a tectonic upheaval in the availability of rentals for long-termers. Currently, there are over 100,000 Airbnb properties listed in Australia. But a more serious problem that supply has surfaced, and Bushy discusses that today with Jules Rolnick. Really good point that Sonia um, took instant bookings off the table because... I originally, for years, people had, I didn't have instant booking. And then I thought, oh, well, I'll do instant booking. And my God, that caused me so much grief. Also on today's show, there's a lot to be said for planning your exit. That especially applies to investment property and taxation. Now, the expert we talked to today in the show suggests that you should plan before you even buy. Holding it, if it's for a long-term purchase for wealth creation and for retirement, um, there's nothing that beats it. And finally, in today's show, there's one way to make sure that you never make a mistake, isn't there? Don't do anything. But that really isn't the answer, is it? And in fact, sometimes the very best way to learn is by making those mistakes. A fear of failure is one of the major reasons to sit on your hands and do nothing. But today, we hope that we can give you some inspiration to overcome that fear and move forward. Arjun Pellywell, will join Bushy to do just that. Short answer is yes, it's still a good time to invest. At the end of the day, you follow those rules around personal buffers, finance management, and do what you can within your capacity. You're one property less you need in your plan to long-term financial freedom. Hey, if you like the show, make sure you hit the subscribe button and help us to continue to bring you the very best guests. We'll be back in just a moment as Bushy Cook kicks off this week's show. Property deductions can save you thousands of dollars each year. To make sure you maximise deductions, you need to work with the most experienced quantity surveyor in the country. BMT Tax Depreciation is the leading specialist in the industry. They've completed over 700,000 tax deduction schedules for residential investment and commercial properties Australia-wide. BMT guarantee to find double your fee in the first full financial year deductions. Call BMT on 1300 728 726 today for an obligation-free quote. Realty Talk and your host, Bushy Martin. Now, just over 10 years ago, Airbnb arrived in Australia. And since then, millions of international and domestic travellers have booked stays through the platform. It brought with it a series of profound shifts and changes from a new willingness to do business with strangers over the internet and sleep in someone else's bed. Two, giving anyone the ability to live like a local in someone else's town. As a result, there are now nearly 
100,000 Airbnb listings across the country. And while most guests will respect you and the property, as a host, you always run the risk that you may encounter a difficult guest that has the potential to undo all of your hard work through a bad review, as reviews are your reputation and future currency for the continued success of your property. So how can you effectively handle difficult guests? Well, to discuss this short-term accommodation mission-critical subject, we're joined by Jules Rolnick, an Airbnb superhost and the author of her award-winning book, Secrets of a Superhost, How to Become an Airbnb Rockstar. So welcome back to Realty Talk, Jules. Hi, Bessie. Great to have you back on this. This is a subject that a lot of people really don't think enough about when it comes to short-term accommodation, Jules. So I'm really going to enjoy deep diving here. But from a, to kick things off, from an Airbnb superhost perspective, who would you class as a difficult guest in terms of what they do or don't do and, and when? Well, firstly, I have a whole big chapter with highlights full of difficult guests. Look, it's really interesting because from my perspective, I could always tell pretty much straight away. As soon as you got a request, you could, from my perspective, you could tell because people that are going to be a little bit challenging usually go into a lot of detail and they want to know a lot of things. They usually ask, can I get a discount? Um, they asked about 20 questions on all different things. Like, you know, I had one guest who even got down to, you know, do you have floaties? She she messaged me at like 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night. Where are the floaties? Where can I buy floaties, you know, for my child to go to the swimming pool the next day? Um, but, you know, they will just be um, relentless at um, what they're, they're kind of quite needy. So... Yeah. yeah, you can usually you get it. You, you get a vibe for who's going to be quite challenging. Yeah, no, it's uh, mm. a very good point there. So, what's the best way to deal with difficult guests then, uh, from your experience, Jules? Okay, so you've got to remember everybody wants to just be taken care of, and they want you. They want to know you care about them. So, the one thing I've learned, which is absolutely gold and I swear by it is you always ask the person what can I do to help that diffuses a difficult person like that they're on a rant they're raving and I've had a few let me tell you and you just say what can I do to help you because you can do all the things you know you can try and do this and try and do that and don't go into a long depth conversation with them because they will just keep coming back at you you just want to ask them how can I make it better and I swear to god I've had people going on and on and they go on about the little things and soon as they know that you you care oh actually what can they do to make it better it diffuses them so that's my first port of call which usually works pretty well yeah and what, what I also learned along the way, which I think this is a good one, with regards to Airbnb, you can't, if you, um, this is, for example, if someone has um, requested to stay and you know this person's going to be quite difficult, you just pick that up, you can't 
go back and say, oh, sorry, you're annoying. I don't want you to stay with me. It doesn't cut the mustard because review the occurrency, and this isn't about a review, but Airbnb will be like, why are you not hosting that person because they're annoying? Well, that's not very good. Let's little, put a little mark next to your um, box and your ratings will start to come down. So um, this is a, a little secret, which, you know, of course, you can learn more about that in my little book. I would, if I knew that somebody was going to be challenging, and I remember one particular um, couple, they were older, they needed support, and even though I state in my ad, not there to meet and greet, most people, God bless us all, we don't actually read and see. So we're, we're looking, oh, yeah, that's great, and then we'll ask the question. Anyway, so... Um, there were all these things that just weren't going to suit them. So what I did, I went to, back to the person and I outlined why, look, you know, I don't feel my Airbnb is going to suit you because, I, you know, A, there's, um, I'm not there to meet and greet. There's stairs. Sometimes the lift doesn't work, which is, the lift didn't work. And there was two, two flights of stairs. Yeah. Um, so for these reasons, I don't think... My apartment will be suited. And I also went the extra step, which if you go that little extra step, it's like 1%. It takes two seconds. I looked up a couple of properties that I thought would be suited to them. And um, as, uh, even, I think, a hotel that had concierge and so forth. And they were so appreciative. And they said, great, thank you for that. They didn't come. On the flip side, I have moved heaven and earth to with some guests, I, you know, I'm trying to do everything and say everything that they want on a state. No, no, I'm, I'm staying. And so then I think, well, and I am married to a lawyer, but uh, I thought to myself, I've covered all my bases. I've explained why I don't think my Airbnb would suit them. So if they whinge, carry on, nitpick, do whatever they need to do, I've already told you, I've covered my back. Yeah. And so, and that's always worked wonders. Just those little things. Yeah, I love that. But one of the things that uh, my good wife has has learned early on in her Airbnb experience is to turn off the instant book function, so that you've actually got an opportunity to get a look at them before they've uh, locked themselves into the equation. But uh, it's flowing on from what you've just said there, Jules. Is it is it bad to decline a potentially difficult guest on Airbnb? And if you do, what's what's the best way to do it? Look, I think as I said. Um... I would use the, you can't, as I said, you can't just sort of say, no, you can't come. I mean, obviously, if they are really, um, you know, they're not suited at all, you just say, look, my, my apartment's not going to suit you and you can come up with a couple of different reasons. Um, you know, I've had people that there's, oh, and I'm oh, sorry, I just want to quickly go back, Bushy. That's a really good point that Sonia um, took instant bookings off the table because I originally, for years, People had, I didn't have instant booking. And then I thought, oh, well, I'll do instant booking. And my God, that caused me so much grief. And okay, it might take that little bit extra effort to, you know, respond to a guest if you don't have instant booking. It saves you a world of pain. So I just wanted to um, commend Sonia for doing that. But yes, now I've lost my train of thought. Where was I? I do that a lot. Yeah, um, that's okay. Yeah, we're just sort of talking about, uh, the, you know, is it bad to decline them? If you do, what's the, what's the yes. best way to do that? Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, so I would um, 
always be polite, go back to them and say, these are the reasons. Um, you can always go to Airbnb and say, look, I'm really, this, this guest wants to stay, I can't deter them, rah, rah, rah. Um, and they will guide you on how best to approach. And that won't um, give you, it, it puts you in a good light. Yes. Always remember that. It'll put you in a good light rather than, you've, one thing you've got to do, and I really can't stress this enough, is be honest with people. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter what it is. If you're not honest, you will it, you will come undone in a big way. Yeah, absolutely. Honesty is the best policy at, at every turn because it sets expectations right from the get-go. Uh, the, the reviews, as you mentioned, uh, are the currency of Airbnb. Uh, so if you've got a difficult guest, uh, how do you review them? Well, the thing is, the funny thing is with Airbnb, and you'll know this, if you both have to, a host and a guest has to review. If one doesn't review, then it doesn't go online. Yep. So what I would do, and mostly if you have a difficult guest, you diffuse the situation by using that old nugget, what can I do to help and so forth. Sometimes it doesn't work. And in one case, I had this one gentleman, Frank, I remember Frank, um, he came to stay at my Airbnb and he winched and complained about every single thing known to man. You know, I even was ringing council security line at um, three in the morning because there was lights coming in from the building works next door. I went above and beyond. And he just was not happy. He he left the building. I even wanted to refund his money. No, leave. I was refund the whole trip. I was just done and dusted. He left, didn't hear hide nor hair didn't know what was happening. He reviewed, I reviewed, he left this absolutely uh, disparaging review. So I contacted Airbnb because A, it was lies and he was out of line. And, and I actually was quite measured because even though he was difficult, you've got to remember, you've got to pick your battles and never go, you know, oh, I'm going to go for the juggler because it will end up. Trust me on that. So you've got to get your emotion out of it. Yeah. So basically, in that situation with Frank, I contacted Airbnb, said this has happened, and that already seen a lot of our communication because it's documented through the Airbnb website. And because he was disparaging and swore um, and said a few bad things, his review was um, off, off, gone to God. But then I couldn't review as well because I must admit, I did get a little bit, ooh, and I'd written out this really, like, ripper negative um uh, review, of course, I wasn't going to post it, but that means if their review gets taken down, yours will as well. But that's sort of yeah how it will play out. Yeah, I love that. So we're sort of bringing that to a head. Then how can you avoid a disgruntled? I can't even say it. A disgruntled mm. guest ruining a host rating. Then, well, the thing is, the only way they can ruin your rating really is if, well, if it's true. But if it's not, then you immediately contact Airbnb and they will they will take it down. They they can't really I mean, you know, I suppose I don't know where they can go except review you on Airbnb, but in certainly with me, if if it's warranted, I would put my hand up and say, Okay, that's that's a fair call. I would have moved heaven and earth to deal with the issue at hand before, you know, with the guests while they were staying at my Airbnb. And as I said, even if you don't engage, don't get a motive and start engaging in battles with the, you know, just don't go there. Even if you re say, I'll refund you all your money, you want to do something that will placate them. Think yeah. about them. It's all about them. Um, yeah. But as I said, yeah, if there's a, 
Airbnb will take the bad review down. So don't worry about that. Just, um, as I said, really important. Don't go into the emotion and get caught up in it. So yeah, I think it's really that removing the emotion is the, uh, is the best road, but the, the difficult road, because if you put so much of your blood, sweat and tears into the property, uh, and then you, then you got these sort of issues occurring, that's, it's easier said than done, but that is the absolute key to no doubt. So, uh, look, these are really great ways to deal with difficult air being guests. Thanks, Jules. And it's clear that due diligence, clarifying mutual expectations and the quality of communication is absolutely critical. So now we're much better prepared to prevent potential difficult guests from booking and managing difficult guests if they do complain. So I encourage anyone who's serious about building a sustainable short-stay business to grab a copy of your book uh, on secretsofsuperhost.com. Yep, awesome. And thanks again for enlightening us on the show today, Jules. Thanks, Bushy. Thanks, Jules. To make sure you get the most from your investment property, you need to claim depreciation. BMT Tax Depreciation ensures that depreciation claims are maximised and compliance is maintained through their physical site inspections. During a site inspection, a specialist BMT site inspector measures the building and identifies every depreciable asset possible. Call BMT on 1300 728 726 for a free estimate of the likely deductions. One of the biggest and often unseen or misunderstood challenges of investing in property is the tax treatment both during and when and if you eventually sell your properties. If you don't fully consider the right and appropriate entity and ownership structure that you need to be buying a property in right from the outset before you actually buy a property, you can inadvertently be putting yourself in a situation where you end up losing and giving a big chunk of your financial gains right back to the tax office instead of keeping it in your own pocket. So how can you better ensure that you retain more of your hard-earned gains rather than donating them to the AGO? Well, one option that you may consider, depending on your circumstances and risk profile, is securing property via a self-managed super fund or SMSF, as it's often referred to, which is what we're going to talk about today. Now, before we start, I need to reinforce that what we're going to share with you today is purely general information in nature, and it's not intended as financial advice in any way, shape or form. So ensure that you seek guidance from independent accounting, legal and other financial prep professionals to consider the specifics of your situation before you actually do anything. But to unpack tax strategies for investing via an SMSF, we're joined by Raymond Hempstead, the Managing Director of One Contract Property who uniquely specialise in helping investors to overcome the normal challenges of securing new bill properties via SMSFs. So welcome to Realty Talk, Raymond. Thanks very much for having me. Look forward to having a chat. Yeah, it's a, a very topical subject that we're diving in today, and there's a lot of interest around uh, self-managed super funds. They were, they were popular for a period, and then they, for whatever reason, they sort of died in popularity, but it's right back on the agenda now, given the sort of capacity constraints that a lot of our investors are facing through the normal channels. So uh, I'd love for you to sort of kick off by talking to us about what are the tax benefits of SMSF property investment? All right, Bush, as, as you're saying, it always comes back to what, what um, entity you're going to be buying your property in. Now, if you're buying a property and it's for a long-term hold and it's not necessarily for generating income that you're going to be living on up until retirement. SMSF fit it perfectly because of the tax the tax regime of 15% and also being able to capitalise that 
if you're 40 years old and you're holding it for 26 years, you're paying 15% tax compared to up to 47% or 30% if you're holding in a company, that gives you more cash back into your pocket or into your super funds pocket to reinvest into your wealth creation um, short term. So again, holding it, if it's for a long-term purchase for wealth creation and for retirement, um, there's nothing that beats it. The other side, and we'll touch on this a little bit later, I think as well, um, is if you're making money out of your, if you're making a hundred grand positive cash flow out of your properties outside of super, you're paying between 30 and 47% tax. When you retire, you're still paying that amount of tax year after year. Yeah. If you're doing that inside your super and you retire, you're paying up to up to zero percent tax. So some major, major benefits in doing long-term um, asset holds in your super fund. Absolutely. I'd, I'd love for you to just touch on the capital gains uh, differences as well, because uh, if if uh, people who invest via their SMSF actually end up having to uh, sell an asset uh, post-retirement, there's some pretty significant benefits there as well. Can you just sort of expand on that for us a little bit? Yeah. So if, you, if you're selling them prior to retirement inside your super fund, if you've held them more than 15, uh, sorry, more than 12 months, you pay 10% capital gains. If you sell them after retirement, you pay 0% capital gains. So again, knowing where, where you're buying, what you're buying and why you're buying it and the right structure can make a major difference to the bottom line for your retirement. Absolutely. No, I uh, really appreciate you sharing that. Uh, I'd love your take on what tax and legal factors uh, should investors consider when they're investing their SMSF into brand new property. Right. Brand, brand new properties and being able to build it, the depreciation, like I love non-cash deductions and being able to build brand new properties and pick up that full tax deduction of non-cash deductible items inside your super. Again, it, I'm going to say it's money for jam, but when you're, when you're structuring your income, I always talk about it's not how much money you earn, it's how much money you keep. Yes. And if you're buying for that, that that side of it is great. The other the other side of it is when when you're looking at your long term hold, people talk about negative gearing in the past, and um, there's pros and cons to that. But when when you can play around, I'm going to call it negative gearing, as in salary sacrificing additional money out of your wage and putting it into your super, you're actually getting a tax deduction out in your real life, putting more money in your super, putting it in a position where you can invest into better quality assets for longer term wealth as well. So there's some other tax treatments there that can save and make you a lot of money on the way through as well. Absolutely. Yeah, there, there are quite significant advantages around that whole aspect, uh, uh, both from the self-managed super fund, but as you well mentioned, uh, the additional incentives and the free kicks that you get on the non-cash deductions for a brand new property in terms of mm -hmm. duty savings and, and all of the full suite of depreciation benefits that are still applicable to new build versus uh, they used to be there for existing properties, but with the changes about three or four years ago, that's that's now gone. So mm -hmm. very significant uh, uh, benefits there and, and, and overall reducing the actual holding cost of property very significantly when you compare it to, to other avenues. 
But uh, John, uh, in the context of all of this, and there is a bit of complexity and some risk around the uh, establishment and administration of self-managed super, how important then is it finding an appropriate accountant tax specialist to ensure that the SMF member or members are actually compliant with the regulations? That's, that's a no-brainer. You have to be talking to licensed financial planners. So one of, one of the things, and you've probably covered this in the past, talk any financial planner isn't the same. There's a lot of financial planners when you go and get financial advice that they cannot talk to you about property. They're, they don't make any money out of it. They're not licensed to. Um, so you need to be talking to a financial planner that can talk to you about shares, can talk to you about property, can talk to you about insurances. They're not limited by the advice that they can give. So yeah. when you go to them and talk about property, you know you're getting good advice. And on the other side, because the, there is some complicated tax legislation around superannuation. Um, now, it's complicated for us mere mortals, but people that study it every day, it's just like changing a tyre on a car sort of thing. Um, so having the right people there to make sure you stay in line in what you're doing, how you're doing it, and just stay within the, um, the guidelines and the ATO, you can have huge benefits um, and huge rewards for your family. But also, we also talk about generational wealth because... What you're making out of property and superannuation, you'll be able to live comfortably. But then at the end, when we when we pass, we can then pass it on to our children or our grandchildren. Again, as long as we've covered everything legally uh, with our advisors on the way through. Yeah, very well said, Raymond. Uh, look, I really want to thank you for these insights. And you've certainly outlined the very significant tax advantages of securing investment property via an SMS together with the importance of actually seeking guidance and advice from an accountant uh, and others who specialise in self-SMSFs right from the outset. And if anyone wants to learn more, Raymond, what's the best way to connect with you? You can hop onto our website, onecontractproperty.com.au. Um, there's some links there. There's some phone numbers, email, however they want to be able to interact with us. Happy to, happy to chat with them. The team's ready and waiting. Terrific, Raymond. We'll uh, really appreciate you sharing all this with us on the show today. Thanks, Mushi. Successful property investment is a game of finance. Do you have the right team and the right game plan? Realty Talk is brought to you by Know How Property. More than mortgage brokers, Mushi Martin and his team of investment architects set you up with a sustainable strategy structured to lower your costs, tax, risk and stress while increasing your capacity for growth. KnowHow has helped over 1,900 homeowners and investors secure more than $800 million in property wealth. So get set to live more, work less, and live your legacy. Want to know how to invest in your freedom? Visit knowhowproperty.com.au. Recent rapid rate rises instigated by the Reserve Bank in an effort to calm runaway inflation have resulted in property buyers and investors borrowing capacities being right, be re, I can't even get this right, being reduced by between 30 to 40% over the last 12 months, which in turn is hamstringing your property purchase price power. As a result, whilst many property investors mistakenly believe that right now isn't the best time to purchase property, data-driven buyers agency Investigate's latest white paper on the five rules for investing during high interest rate environments reinforces that any time is suitable to invest in property if you do the right research. So to help you further open your eyes to these rules and current opportunities, we're actually doing a special two-part feature here on Realty Talk 
with the White Paper's author, Arjun Paliwell, whose investors head of research. In part one, we covered the first three rules. So if you haven't listened to this yet, go back and make sure you do. Today, in our concluding chapter, Arjun's going to unpack his last two rules together with his thoughts on why, what, and where you should be investing right now, which we can't wait to hear. So welcome back to Realty Talk, Arjun. Always good to be back, mate. And yeah, part one was great and and pumped for today's session, part two. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Uh, you really whet our appetite in the, the first part of our great conversation. So uh, I'm sure uh, everyone's going to be glued to their seats to listen to your words of wisdom for part two. So uh, kicking off of it, Arjun, uh, rule number four suggests that doing something is better than doing nothing. So walk us through what you mean by that. Yeah, I thought to myself, I was like, hey, high interest rate times must mean we should not do something with our money because it's expensive, things cost a lot, and maybe we should just sit back, hibernate, and wait for the good times to come again. And then I started looking into this all, and I realized, hold on a minute, high interest rate times, typically, and almost only, when you look at the charts going back from 1977 to 2023, high interest rates are met due to high inflation. And so interest rates are a handy, if not the only tool, actually, for central banks to fight inflation. And therefore, interest rate environments have a clear correlation with inflation. And so in these heightened inflationary times, just means that cash in the bank is not your friend. So I guess cash in the bank, really outside of a buffer and outside of money for a bit of personal leisures. And then, of course, investing should really not be sitting there. And that buffer shouldn't be too big because Cash really isn't your friend when you have high inflation. So that was the first thing that started to happen, doing something better than nothing. Now, what is that something? Is that something truly going to be better than it? And that's when we looked at Vanguard's index chart. And Vanguard's index chart, so if you're an investor and you're a property person, a shares person, or whatever type of investor you are, the truth is being in an investing market despite high interest rates in the 1990s, high interest rates today, high interest rates in the early 2000s have proven to be a better decision than doing nothing with the money. And so that's the core part here. Yeah, I love that. Uh, and that Vanguard chart that goes way back makes it really clear that despite uh, global or local disasters that were classified at the time, uh, good investment assets have continued to rise in value. So it certainly reinforces the point that uh, any time is a good time if you know what you're doing. Uh, can you sort of share some examples of this from the past uh, based on what we've just been talking about? Yeah, sure thing. So if we go look at the past and say we we go back to the times of you know, 2000 and 2000, 2005 even, uh, interest rates back then weren't the prettiest. And during that time, if you go over there were many locations, if not the country was in a boom. And even in recent times, we saw the recent interest rate increase during 2022. And in the part one of our session, we talked about how there were still over 60 SA3s or circle council areas were actually rising in values. And so I think the core thing here is that if we look at what our money does for us and what we're spending it at, that $5 hamburger that we could once buy, it's probably 10 bucks today. And then today's $10 hamburger will probably be $15 to $20 in the future. And so what that means for us is that that money that we think we're holding tight to our chest and it's that treasure and that cash in the bank is looking great. Every time we go and use it, it gets us less and less and less. Now, when you have money today and say it's invested in debt, and let's just say that money is higher in value or 
costs, you bring in more from wage growth or things cost more, but your debt levels are the same as today. And so that means that 100K loan, 500K loan, $1 million loan is worth less over time. So that's inflation doing the opposite effect on your debt. Because if we're all on circa two, three, 400, 500K plus wages in the future, which sounds silly, but it's likely to happen with all things equal with our wage growth index rising at over 3% on long-term averages, we're all going to get there. Now, if you've still got today's debt parked away, interest only, never paid off a cent, look back in the future and you go back to this today's debt, it's not going to be the hardest thing to pay off, I'll tell you that. So that's the core thing that's working here, both against us and for us, but it's only working against you if you do nothing. Absolutely. And I, I, I just, uh, you sort of triggered a couple of memories and I'm going to show my age here, Arjun, but uh, uh, on the personal front, uh, when I was a, a young lad, you could buy a bag of lollies for one cent, uh, <laughs> which would now cost dollars to do the same. And my very first property, uh, talking about the, the way inflation actually works for us, very first property uh, I picked up for 84 grand and I borrowed most of that because uh, he could in those days. Uh, that same property now, we've still got that property, is worth uh, just under a million bucks. Uh, and uh, the debt, uh, in terms of its actual impact on repayments, uh, it's it's gone now, but it uh, got to a stage where it didn't mean much at all because of the fact that everything else had gone up and therefore that had stayed the same. Uh, made it a really easy thing to uh, manage. So you, you make a really good point there. Now, uh, your final rule indicates that there's always something growing somewhere. So share with us what you mean by this. And again, can you uh, give us some examples, please? Yeah, so for that first point you raised about the the debt, it's such actually a good point you brought up there as well, Bushi. Uh, if you had that same 84K debt and hypothetically you remained on interest only forever, a couple on maybe, let's just say 80K each or 100K each or whatever the number may be, 60K each, might pay that off in three to five years. Yep. That is the simple way to demonstrate inflation. If Bushy kept it on interest only, kept calling up his bank mates and asked for some favors to say, can you extend me out of it? Can you extend me out of it? And then today he decided, you know what? Stretch my legs, stretch my arms. I'm going to pay off this loan. One year's wage, three years wage, two years, whatever you're on, would have paid that loan off and then you've got a debt-free property, right? And if not, the rental income would have paid it off too. So uh, that's a core part. But now into number five, there's always something growing. And I think this is a core part that many people get wrong. They see growth in a city and they say, that's a growth city. They get stuck to that city. They never move off that city. And that is not what a diversified portfolio that's likely to perform the best for you long-term looks like. Yes, anywhere, almost anywhere. In fact, 90% of Local government areas in Australia, as per core logic, have produced 5% or more compound growth over the last 25 years. So, yes, almost anywhere will do okay. So, you're doing great if you're investing and if you're investing in houses. That was the data for houses. Yep. So, if we move on to though index price growth of some of our three capital cities, and let's just look at 2002 to 2012, and the three cities in question here are Perth, Adelaide, and Sydney. Yep. Perth was the rock star between 2002 and 2012. 168% growth as per ABS. Yeah. Adelaide, the second place, amazing, 138. And Sydney, not so good at 75. Now we switch it over. Sydney, 2012 to 2022, 98 in first place. Adelaide still doing really well at 72% in second. And Perth, not so well at 14% in the last decade. So that clearly shows to us that something somewhere is always going to be performing at different rates. And these are three million plus population cities, multi-million plus population cities, and are all showing very varied results at the same time. And so when we started to look at this and start to go deeper into it, 
you know, 1919, if we take Melbourne as an example, we have a chart there that shows cash rate trends and Melbourne's median price. And it all the way back from 97 to 2023, and we wanted to really look at this deeper. The house price in Melbourne, like major city, declined about six times, but only two times were in the middle of interest rate surges. So that just shows you that it's not the same time when they're all happening. So something somewhere, even during interest rate rises, are going to be okay. And so in 2023, interest rates were surging, and that was when Melbourne was declining during 2022. 2019, interest rates were declining, yet Melbourne was still declining. In 2012, interest rates were declining, yet Melbourne still declined. In 2009, interest rates were also declining. Melbourne again declined. And then interest rates was kind of in between two surges in 95, and Melbourne declined. So it wasn't actually surging. It was in between. Yep. And 1992, interest rates declined. And 90 to 92, Melbourne's prices declined. So it's just not clear. We cannot park this interest rate high moving up period and simply say that things move in the same way because this rule shows you that every city, different times, there's always something growing and they're not all reacting as well. Six price declines in almost 40 years of Melbourne's history and only two were during interest rate increases. Yeah, we've we've sort of gotten to a state where people like really simple linear mind models where they directly correlate one cause with an effect. And as, as you and I know, Arjun, uh, there's more dynamic factors affecting property conditions than a Rubik's cube combination, uh, which is 48 trillion or something. So to just to rely on a, a couple of factors is is really misleading and and actually downright dangerous. So uh, I'm glad you emphasised that point. But uh, all of this really brings us to the penultimate question, Arjun. Uh, should investors be sitting on the sidelines and waiting until finance and property conditions improve? Or is it still good a good time to invest? And if so, why, what, and where? Short answer is yes, it's still a good time to invest. At the end of the day, you follow those rules around personal buffers, finance management, and do what you can within your capacity. Your one property less you need in your plan to long-term financial freedom. That's the core thing. One yeah. property less every time you make a move. Yeah. And so that's the first part. Now, in terms of what, I think there's a lot of consistencies here from this particular white paper you can take out. Mm. Houses in undersupplied areas that are able to be managed within your means across the country to get the best possible result. That's the core things. Now, in terms of where, hint, hint, there are a few cities here that haven't had the greatest last 10 years. And we talked about Perth. That seems to be moving along pretty well. Uh, there are many other cities as well across some of our regional markets in Queensland. So a few things where we've noticed some consistencies or strong economic activity in places like Toowoomba, Bundaberg, Rockhampton, Townsville, their month-on-month -month growth rates are still in present. And then even if you go down to South Australian cities like Adelaide, there is still high pressure in many parts of Adelaide. Now, we have noticed a shift in Adelaide, though. A very affordable subsegment of Adelaide seems to keep moving along quite well. But the premium areas have flatlined a little bit in many parts of Adelaide. Now, I do expect the premium areas to lift back up again as sentiment continues to come back, just because if these affordable areas keep moving the way they are, there's a weird dynamic happening in Adelaide where you might be 40Ks out and they might be just as pricey as some places 10 to 15Ks out. And if we're putting investors' mindset away and looking at just the home buyer, they might shift their value recognition towards these inner places that are flatlining a little bit now. So I think... There's a lot going on across Australia. Sydney and Melbourne are recovering at rapid rates. And 
they seem to be moving very quickly, especially due to the undersupply. So as long as these undersupply conditions remain in Sydney and Melbourne and they catch up these decline rates, they could be some star performance too. But the key thing is supply doesn't align. If you use that as your guiding force, as soon as supply conditions change too heavily in a particular area, it's likely that the boom there is going to slow down for some time. Absolutely. Very well said. Uh, love uh, the way you've sort of got getting us to focus on the things that are really important when it comes to, to property. And uh, it's clear that if you're serious about securing your future through property, you need to make sure that you adopt these five rules, which uh, Arjun has very eloquently uh, broken down for us. They give you a very comprehensive framework to enable you to secure outperforming properties regardless of economic conditions. And if you'd like to read the full white paper and enjoy all of the details, feel free to jump on the link in the show notes that will take you to investorkit.com.au forward slash resources forward slash 5x rules for investing during high interest rate environments. Thanks for your time again today, Arjun, and thanks for sharing your words of wisdom on the Property Hub's go-to place for all things property here on Realty Talk. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate it. Excellent. This is Realty Talk, powered by realty.com.au. And that brings us to the end of this week's show. Bushy and I would like to thank our very special guests, Jules Rolnick, Raymond Hempstead and Arjun Paliwell. Now, just before we go, make sure that you don't miss a single episode of Realty Talk or Bushy's very popular Get Invested podcast. They're delivered to you each week and you can do that by subscribing to The Property Hub now on your favourite podcast player or wherever you're listening to or watching this show. Thanks to our supporters, realty.com.au, BMT, Tax Depreciation, Know How Finance, Apiro Marketing for their ongoing support. I'm Kevin Turner, and on behalf of Bushy and the Property Hub team, we look forward to seeing you again next week. Miss something in this week's show or want to catch up on past shows? Do it anytime at realty.com.au where we connect buyers, sellers and agents differently. 